Hey listeners, Jonathan here. I'm dropping in on the back catalog of episodes to let you know about a very special workshop that I'm putting together in April for fans of Mindful Money. In this workshop, I'm going to be covering the path to financial independence, or what we used to call retirement. I want to show you how to create an income stream that rises to meet your rising cost of living and lasts the rest of your life. I want to show you how to build a simple, resilient portfolio that requires the least worry and effort. This is how I manage my own money. And I want to show you how to manage and adjust income through a life of rising costs and volatile market. And as per usual, we're going to bring uh, the focus back around to those things we know add to happiness and support well-being when you do finally reach financial independence. You can register at the link below, courses.mindful.money forward slash mindful dash retirement dash review dash workshop. Thanks. I hope to see you in class. I think some people mistakenly think like everyone's going to find their content right away and they're going to rocket to the top of the charts. Especially when it comes to podcasting, it's important to really think about why you're doing this. If you're trying to create a site that, or show that's going to get millions of downloads, that's going to be extremely difficult. On average, if you're getting about 150 downloads per episode, you're already doing better than half of all shows. So you need yeah. to have a model yeah. that says, I'm going to get sponsorship for this because I'm speaking to a niche audience. Or I'm just happy with my little show and I'm, I don't have any immediate plans to monetize. Do you think money takes up more life space than it should? On this show, we discuss with and share stories from artists, authors, entrepreneurs, and advisors about how they mindfully minimize the time and energy spent thinking about money. Join your host, Jonathan Dio, and learn how to put money in its place and get more out of life. Hi there, and welcome to the 18th episode of the Mindful Money Podcast. On this episode, I'm chatting with Harry Duran. He's the host of the popular Podcast Junkies, the author of Around the Podcast Campfire, and the founder of Fullcast.co, a full-service podcast production company. He's also the guy I chose to help me launch the Mindful Money Podcast. The reason I chose him, aside from his experience and knowledge, is that he never tried to sell me anything. He was consultative throughout Help me learn about the industry, help me learn all kinds of stuff and get comfortable. And I think the process took 18 months to 24 months for him to finally say, yeah, go ahead and do it. Um, and he seriously loves podcasts. So Harry, thanks for joining me on the Mindful Money Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Jonathan. It's been a real pleasure to, to be working with you these past few months and um, excited to see the growth in your podcast you. journey. And it's, uh, I'm really excited to have you here and hopefully sort of help other people get to the same place. Where do you call home? Uh, Minneapolis. My heart probably still belongs to New York City. That's where I grew up. And uh, if we're getting really accurate, I was born in El Salvador. <laughs> my parents brought me to New York when I was a year old. So most of my adult life was in New York, Yonkers, New York, to be specific, just outside. But I have lived in Manhattan, in Brooklyn. So um, definitely have some, some love for New York. And then I had a, a stint for about four years in LA prior to Minneapolis. And then when people ask me what I'm doing in Minneapolis, the short answer is love. Yeah, I get that for sure. Yeah, That's probably partner. why I'm still in Berkeley. Um, love. It's a, it's a driving force. What kind of lessons, probably none in El Salvador, but, but probably lessons in New York growing up about money, what kind of lessons did you learn? Well, interestingly enough, I think um, my, my parents being immigrants, you know, there's definitely a work ethic. There's definitely a, a reminder to, to save. I mean, I... I vividly remember, you know, being in the south part of Yonkers in an apartment that was with uh, three siblings, <laughs> so four of us total, and 
my parents having this drive and this passion to, to get us to buy us that first house. And so definitely like just seeing every possible manner we could to save and a lot of rice and bean dinners <laughs> back then, you know, just really, you know, they were really focused on, on living that, that dream and they were able to make that happen. So it was like late 70s, 78, I think is when we moved into the house that they, they still call home. Um, that, and that's my, where my childhood and where I grew up. And then I think, you know, just, uh, I think it was just instilled in me by, by my dad, just the importance of, you know, savings and not, not getting into debt. And I didn't really necessarily follow all those to the, to a T. <laughs> I somehow, somehow had to learn some of those lessons myself the hard way. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of research on immigrant culture being very entrepreneurial. I'm wondering if you had any of those lessons. I know, I'm, I'm sure that your parents had multiple jobs, but w- did they have their own gigs? No, I think, you know, my, my, my dad, I think was working in like a factory job when he first got here, but I don't know what or where the inspiration came from, but there was these magazines that he, he says he remembers reading and at the back of the magazine, and this has got to be like in seventies, late seventies, where it was, uh, there's talk about like these computer education, like learning computer systems, computer repair, something along those lines, but something that triggered something in him where he realized this was going to be a better option. So he went back to school to learn basically how to, you know, repair. Cause, and I guess the headlines at the time were like computers are the future. So, <laughs> you know, he, he had a, a, a calling for that and he went back and, you know, as an immigrant and learning English, you know, you know, was the first challenge for him. And then going back and, and working at these companies to learn, he, he eventually ended up working. I think some of the companies that I remember early on are TRW systems. And then eventually Exxon at, at some point had like a computer department that he worked on but i really credit my love and passion for computers to you know him taking that leap and really deciding like you know there was an opportunity for a a better chances for our family if he had a a job that paid more a job that had some growth potential in it so so there was a there was a leap to improve education and an openness to you know new things where did you get where did the entrepreneurship thing come for you? I mean, where, where did that arise? I think it came later on. I think um, he always had the nine to five job. And then there was a, a, was a point when he left or I think his job got eliminated and he was in, in between jobs. So he had was trying to do something entrepreneurial related. And we, because of his uh, experience with computer repairs, we were trying to, I, I remember creating business cards for him. <laughs> he had the business he was going to call PC prescription. And then, you know, he kind of looked into that and the cost of, you know, getting a re- real estate and an office. Cause this was still like probably eighties, late eighties when he was considering this. And thankfully my mom talked me, talked him out of that. And he didn't go down that route. He ended up getting a job at, at a university and then for me, it was always just side things because I was in my nine to five world as well. Um, I, I got my first job in, in banking, I think when I was like 22 and really didn't look back. And then probably towards maybe 15 to 20 years in, in corporate. And I would do one-off things like try, my, my friend had a promotion company. He wanted me to help start that with him. It wasn't until I got into mobile apps, and this is uh, probably late... 2014. No, probably I, I tried a couple of things because I always wanted to see w- w- what was an opportunity because I realized, oh, this is something that I want to be a part of. Dot com 
needless to say, like that didn't pan out. And I actually ended up cashing out my 401k to just sustain me. And that's huge no, no, I'm sure in, in the, in the world of personal finance and planning, but I really saw it as an opportunity to learn and to, to just dive feet first into this world. So year and a half, probably later, it, it didn't pan out. And thankfully, I had my corporate godfather who always was able to like get me new positions. And I ended up working with him in like three different companies, five different positions. So he was always good to me from, from, from the day I started in the bank. So I ended up coming back probably 2001 and was working at JPMorgan Chase then for a little bit. But I still, the bug had started at that point. I'm like, oh, I, what, what can I do differently or how can I take control of my own de destiny? I reunited with my half brother at the time who lived in Atlanta and he owned a, constru a construction company of all things, masonry company and siding. We connected. I went to visit him. He's like, you should come down. And I was like, sure. He's like, you can be the general manager of my company. And I was like, sure. I was like literally like in IT consulting and I went down to Atlanta right after 9-11. I'm in hard hat scaffolding. I had to learn how to do takeoffs of blueprints. And so it wasn't necessarily entrepreneurial, but I was really felt like I was in control of like my own destiny. Cause I was like, well, if this takes off, then this will be a great opportunity for me. And you know, he was, it was his company, but you know, I was really helping them as the GM. So help them build an, you know, build an office, scale that up. But as they say with like anything family related, you know, after a couple of years, it was clear that like that wasn't going to work out. And so the way I tell the story is I flew back in like 2004 essentially with my tail between my legs to go back and live with my parents. Cause I was like, oh, okay, I tried that. That didn't work out. Thankfully I, I maintained my connections in the corporate world, got a job back in corporate and kept doing that for a while. And then I just was always looking for opportunities to do something entrepreneurial. I have a passion for electronic music. I grew up DJing like literally vinyl turntables. I still have those in my basement. So I break those out every now and then. So at the time I helped uh, a friend of mine help create a mobile app. It's called Know Your DJ. And it was sort of like Pandora, but just for electronic music, just for DJs. And so he helped me build the app and we were starting to do some marketing. And I said, uh, I was listening to, I just had gotten into podcasts and I was like, these are interesting. And there was one that I used to listen to called Resident Advisor. I was like, I want to start a podcast to help promote the mobile app. So in 2014, I went to a conference called New Media Expo. And this probably dates it because it was blogging, YouTube, and podcasting. Those are the, the three tracks. So I went there with the intention of starting a podcast to interview DJs. I quickly realized how hard it was going to be to interview globetrotting DJs. But I saw other podcasters there. Some people in the podcasting world might remember some, recognize some of these names, but uh, Pat Flynn was there, Amy Porterfield was there. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I want to learn about the podcasting world what better way than just to start a podcast and interview these podcasters. So I sort of shifted the first, the plan for the podcast. And I started what is my first show in 2014 called podcast junkies. I obviously tried a bunch of different things and a bunch of different hobbies. One of them was acting. So I was always a fan of the show inside the actor studio. So I love that model of learning, like getting a peek into the real world of these actors, you know, cause you would have an hour long conversation and you would see them on screen, but it was only when James Lipton had, you know, was asking these, personal questions that you're like, oh, wow, he's a real person. He's got some real hopes and aspirations. And so that's how I modeled Podcast Junkies after that show. And I said, what's the story of the podcasters behind the mic? Like you'll hear like their polished version on their shows. You know, what? how do they get there? What inspired them to start the show? And then 
a little bit, you know, selfishly, I said, you know, I don't know anyone in this industry. What better way to develop a relationship than to start having these hour-long conversations with people? And back then, I was really clear that I wanted the video. I want Right now, we're using Squadcast, which makes things much, much easier than it was back then. But I was using uh, Skype with a tool called Call Recorder. So I could record the audio. I could see, see the video. I wasn't recording video at the time, but I could see the person. And so naturally, when I would go to a podcasting conference, they would say, hey, Harry, that was a great hour-long conversation we had. It was really nice to connect with you. So slowly, I just started, you know, building relationships with these folks. And, and at the same time, my consulting job was winding down. And I was like, I, I need a plan B here <laughs> really quickly. And so I, I hired a business coach. And that was probably, that, that combination was really just what put me on the path to where I am now. And he was, um, it's a program called Black Belt. And at the time, it's, it was a big investment. It was a $1,500 a month investment, which is n no small change, you know, when you're coming out of the corporate world. But I was really like, I can't believe that I'm paying this person this much money. And in hindsight, I realized it was like he could get me there faster. And I was paying for like his IP, like his intellectual property of all, this, all the frameworks he had. That was my deep dive into the world of digital marketing. I, I call it digital Narnia. Like I was like, wow, I didn't realize like you could have these entrepreneurs yeah. making six figures, seven figures with these small teams doing it remotely. I started doing a lot of reading folks in the inspirational space. And the one that stuck out for me the most was Jim Rohn, who says you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I was like, well, this is like, so that was like how I jumped into that world. And, and I'll pause there. But that was really like an awakening for me of, of, of something that I didn't even know existed. Let's, I mean, it, there's there's two or three things that threads in there that I want to I want to pull on. The first one, and this kind of goes backwards a little bit, is you mentioned a corporate godfather, like somebody you would try something and then you would come back to him and he'd get you a new job and yeah, you'd yeah. leave and try something else. Yeah, you'd yeah. come back to him. My brother had that same, and you know you know my brother, you know he's the one that died last year, and and so it's it's when you told a couple of stories there, it just hit me as yeah, my brother had that exact same relationship with a guy named Tim Cottrell. And he went from company to company to company, and he always he always said, "Hey, Dave, come do this." And in the middle, we would he and I would try to do something together. Um, and you know, in the last episode, you heard you heard me introduce one of those you yeah. know one of those things we tried to do together. It was so very interesting. It hit that really hits home. Never got to experience the working with my brother and have it not work. Right? We never got to that to that point. Uh, always wanted to, but you know, yeah, yeah, it's a lesson maybe I I didn't need to learn. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. What I thought was interesting was um, and David. Fleischl is, is my, my old manager and we still are friends to this day. We've played, gone on to like play poker since he's retired. And so we were, we've maintained that friendship, but I started in the, as a teller. And I remember like I would wear my suit to work and I was, and then he was like, Oh, like he would promote me to select services, which is like the window where like the people with like all the corporate accounts, you know, come to the window and then the higher clientele. And there was a, I think a, a drive in the bank at the time. I started at Manufacturers Hanover, which became Chemical Bank. <laughs> so this tells you how far back it goes. But we would have to remember the client's names or say the customer's names. And I remember writing down Acme Products, Jonathan, you know, like uh, Joe's Deli, Michael. And I'd have a list of names and he, he would come back every once in a while to say hi to the tellers. And he's like, what's this list of names that you have? Like, it looked really sketchy. <laughs> and I was like, no, I mean, we've been told that we want, we're supposed to have these customers names to remember. And he just thought that it was like so amazing that I was like so disciplined that I was writing down because I would get the check and I would see the name of the company. I'd be like, and then I would say the person's name to be like, oh, wow, you remembered my name. But that was enough for him to promote me to the front of the 
the branch now as a as a sales rep like or, or whatever you called them at the time just opening up accounts now and then i got promoted to like select sales rep and then he left to start a new program and then he took me with him and he always told me he's like you know what you hire who you know and who you trust you know rather than trying to like interview people i already know your work ethic you may or may not have the skill sets needed at the time to do the job but i know what you're capable of this is customer service this person is working to serve the customer right and so i that's someone i can trust and will take care of that 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 role which is really important another thing that was in that stream of consciousness you shared three i think you call it new medias you know this is 2014 new media was youtube podcasts or there was one other blogging I remember. <laughs> blogging right 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 so has that changed or are those still the three forms of new media. I mean, it's interesting because I'm trying to think of what other things are out there. And that's still the core content producers use podcasts, they use blogging. And, you know, often the podcasts and the blogs end up somehow recorded on YouTube. So it's like YouTube captures a lot of stuff. But is there something else in there? I mean, what other avenues can people uh, produce content in? No, I think there's it's a it's a variation of that. And I what's interesting, if you if you break down those three mediums, it's uh, written audio right. and video. And so whatever exists now, I think is just a function of that. So newsletters are, are very popular as a form of like content creators can just literally have a newsletter. And so that's, you know, resulted in the birth of services like Substack. And what's interesting is I always tell people like, it speaks to what uh, you're comfortable with. So for me, I'm not really like, I don't consider myself a writer. Like there's people that can just hammer out 3000 word blog posts like every week or, or newsletters. And I struggle to just, you know, get my newsletter out every week. So that's why it's been taking so long to get out. Normally I would send it out every Friday. And there's some people that love video. There's some people that literally are just comfortable waking up every morning and doing like a, a 30 second insert video channel of, of choice, Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube, Shorts, Reels, like I lose, I lose track of what they're all called <laughs> now, but it's essentially the same concept, like get LinkedIn Live, whatever it is. It's just this ability to just get on camera and really be comfortable and, you know, share your story or, you know, whatever it is you want to promote. And then there's some people that just like to talk. And that's for me, like where I'm more comfortable behind the mic. And that's why I gravitated towards podcasting because I love talking to people. And, you know, the, the introduction of video came later, but I just having long form conversations with people in a relaxed setting. And then just all you have to do is publish the video. I'm sorry, publish the audio as, as a, as essentially a conversation. Cause that's, those are my favorite types of podcasts where people are just talking and just, you're just hearing stories. And I think that's what makes podcasts so special. But what I tell people all the time is just, you know, you gravitate towards the, the medium or the format where you're most comfortable. Yeah. And you know, I'm a, I'm a money guy. I want to keep money within the context of life. You know, it shouldn't always be about more, it should be about enough, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this season, I want to talk about how to turn expertise into income. Just a couple questions and just break this down to the best of your ability. Can you give us a couple actions that that a content entrepreneur, blogger, podcaster could take that would absolutely, you know, benefit life and financial outcomes? And then a couple actions they could take or they could stop taking that the world tells us that we should be taking that we're like, you know what, that's not really worthwhile activity. Just highlight a couple things that are positives and highlight a couple things that are this, this doesn't really work. I think from a positive perspective, in the beginning, people who are trying to be content creators, they're trying to find their voice, they're trying to figure out what they're either 
an expert at, and they're probably not going to be an expert at anything much in the beginning because they're going to be copying what other people are doing. But I think it's really finding a passion, like finding something you're specifically uh, love and love talking about. Like when it comes to podcasting, I tell prospects and clients, is this something you want to keep talking about, you know, six months from now, 12 months from now? So in that same vein, is this something you want to be writing about or, you know, posting on social media about what what happens is you need to find your voice and need to develop an expertise in something. I didn't, I wasn't intending when I, when I started my show that I was going to start an agency, but I just realized when I started podcast junkies, I did everything myself. I said, I, I recorded the content, scheduled the interviews, created the graphics, wrote the post, p- created the website, created the socials, promoted on socials, like, and found the guests. And I did all those things because I was like, I'm I'm, this, I'm a solo creator, so these are all the things that I need to do. And then I realized because I I put myself in a position where there were other people who were successful, and I think that's one a key mm. takeaway. Like find people, find a coach, find a mentor. You know, it's bears repeating. You know, even like Tiger Woods still has a coach. Like if he still plays go- plays golf, I'm not sure he still plays golf. But if he, you know, like find someone who can you know give you that shortcut to, to teach you the things that you don't know so that and you can figure out based on what that coach has as a specialty to apply your own skills so for my for example for me he was a coach of coaches he helped you scale so i took some of those tools and i said there's a lot of people in this space who are paying him money so they understand opportunity costs and they understand what an hour of their time is worth so what i saw what i was doing is i was saving people time i said i learned all these things for a year about how to produce a podcast these people are starting to express interest in this new medium of podcasting. I'm going to create a done-for-you service that packages everything up and and showcases all the stuff that I can do really, really well into a, um, a concise offering. So anything that you can do that saves people time, you know, that, that people understand who are successful at opportunity cost and that when they need something done, the people who are successful ask themselves, right. uh, not how can I do this, they ask themselves who can do this for me. So when you think about all the places where people are struggling or they need help, especially business owners who are growing, you know, that they're, they're going to need help with their social. They're going to need help with their content. If you're a great, you're great with words, you know, there's people that need people that can be good copywriters and produce content for them on a consistent basis, but do things that light you up. There are people that want to start up or who are in the process of starting up that just, they simply don't have the resources to outsource, right? So I understand mentorship. Like you, you want to find somebody that can help you along the path to get you started. But there's some people, I mean, when we met, I had resources. Like I, I could easily have afforded, you know, the done for you aspect. And by the way, I would not have done it any other way. And if, if anyone's listening, it's a good, it's a good way to go if you have the resources. So what, what can you tell folks that don't have the resources? What are some of the tools that they can access that are, that are supportive and helpful? Well, for people that want to start their their own endeavors, I mean, there's there's plenty of like free resources, and and a lot of times I tell people like the stuff that I'm giving you and that I'm teaching you is not anything new. It's stuff that you can find, and so if you don't have, you know, to your point, if you don't have the the resources to hire someone who can do it as a done for you service, then you'll have to figure out the a, a, most of it is free. Like there's even Captivate, one of the partners we use for hosts, they've created a whole free course on how to start a podcast and it gives you all the specifics in there so you sh- there shouldn't you shouldn't feel like there's a need for you to, to to pay for some of this stuff really the only time when it makes sense for you to pay some for something is if someone can get you there faster 
and that's where you know paying for a done for you service is helpful but if you're just looking to get started as a creator whether it's a let's say as, as a podcast for example really your first episode is is not going to sound good and and you're going to be questioning yourself about whether you should be even doing this but your 10th is going to sound better than your first and your 50th is going to sound better than your 10th so you need to put the reps in and that's whether you're doing a podcast whether you're starting a blog or starting a youtube channel i think some people mistakenly think like everyone's going to find their content right away and they're going to rocket to the top of the charts especially when it comes to podcasting it's important to really think about why you're doing this if you're trying to create a site that or show that's going to get millions of downloads that's going to be extremely difficult. On average, if you're getting about 150 downloads per episode, you're already doing better than half of all shows. So you need yeah. to have a model that says, I'm going to get sponsorship for this because I'm speaking to a niche audience, or I'm just happy with my little show and I'm, I don't have any immediate plans to monetize. So I think it's really important to think about the end in mind as well. Can you give us a couple things that people do that don't? I'm going to go back to that question that not important, they should avoid doing. I think it's it's challenging in the beginning because people just copy what everyone else is doing. Um, and then the other thing is the impulse to just take a, a lot of these courses and then watch a lot of these training videos. One thing one of my early coaches told me is this is the distinction between just in time learning versus just in case learning. And so in the beginning, you're trying to like learn how to do like a marketing funnel, learn how to do like a lead magnet, learn how to create a website. And you're sort of hoarding all this knowledge, but you don't really need it in the moment. And so it's you're, it's important to figure out like, what do you need to learn to take the next step in your business? And and whether it's, you know, learning how to build a, a functioning funnel so that when people download your lead magnet, it immediately gets them onto your email list and then learning how to build, um, once you have people on your email list, maybe the next part would be how to how create a, a an engaging email sequence. So best practice would be to have a five-part welcome sequence. And so focus on that. And then as you start having people coming in and going through that process, then you start to figure out, well, how do I engage the people that are on my email list? And how do I stay more consistent? And so you have to think about each step in the process, um, but not get overwhelmed with trying to do too many things and, and shiny object syndrome, just, you know, not having a specific thing that you're a subject matter expert in. Because you know, it's sort of like, uh, what is the jack of all trades, master of none. There's an interesting exercise that you can do. It's called the six, I think it's called the six word statement. This was from one of the, the coaches, I think that I was working with early on, but it says, you know, what, what are you good at? You know, I help blank, you know, do X thing. So in the beginning is like, I help business owners uh, amplify their message through done for you podcasting services. That was, that was an early version for me. And then one additional thing you can tack on to that is that so that so i help b2b business owners uh, create podcasts uh, and amplify their message so that they can get their word out and spread their message to you know their intended audience you know that's a very rough version of it but i think it's helpful because when people ask you what you do it should be something that allows people to like lean in and, and want you to ask for uh, you know clarifying questions oh yeah tell me more about that and, or, or how do you do that don't give them everything, right? Just make them, you want them to ask a question. I, I think to summarize a little bit of that, the thing you said early on was the um, just in time versus just in case. One of the things I've noted as I started the podcast and and started thinking about blogging and sort of thinking about how to monetize this platform um, separately from you know my advisory stuff is 
everyone has a course. Everyone has something that they want me to you know, listen to for an hour that gets me to buy their course, that gets me to subscribe to their blog and subscribe to their newsletters. And there are hundreds and thousands of them out there and they're all doing the same exact thing. And it's, it's very, very difficult to say no when you're like, oh, this is really good. That hour is fantastic. I want the next thing. But reflecting back on just in time. Do I need this? Do I need this right now? What step am I on in this process? And just focus on that step. I think that's, don't get sucked into the next thing when you're not done with this thing. And the other thing that's really important, Jonathan is, and that's been helpful for me. I love productivity and I love systems. You know, for our agency, we write standard operation, operating procedures, SOPs. But I, I think as I look back and as we're having this conversation, I think about all the things that I've learned that have helped me become a better entrepreneur. There's a book called Work the System by Sam Carpenter, which talks about the importance of SOPs. If you're building, if you're eventually looking to like get some, you know, help with your business down the line. There's also The War of Art, which is a fantastic book. It talks about mm-hmm. this process of this thing called the resistance. And it's something I, yep. I keep telling myself I, I need to reread every year <laughs> because it's a real Stephen thing. Pressfield. He's got he's got like Stephen eight Pressfield. books you can read. He has eight books. It's you an can amazing read. book. It's an amazing book, and it's it's these things that help you understand mindset, productivity, how to you know manage your time. Like when you get up in the morning, like what's your day going to look like? Do you have a system for for tracking how you're going to get stuff done? Because if you just wake up and and it's just like I don't know what I'm going to get done today, or I don't know what the priorities are. I like time blocking. So if you look at my calendar, it looks like a bunch of Lego blocks because I just like everything color coded. This is client work. This is, you know, individual work. I'm very adamant about managing my time when it comes to opening up my calendar. It's very easy now with tools like Calendly and Acuity to just open up your calendar to everyone. And I always cringe when I see people invite me to stuff and I see their calendar and it's like the whole week is open. (laughs) And I'm just like all slots Monday through Friday. I'm just like, you know, that, that's that for them to work through. But what I, one of the things I learned from my coach is this idea of blocking, of leaving open like the middle of the week. And so in an ideal world, I'll have my Wednesdays full and then my Tuesdays and Thursdays full. And I leave my, I, as much as possible, my uh, Mondays and my Fridays open for just my, my deep work. Uh, Cal Newport, that's another great book, Deep Work. <laughs> it talks about the importance of really staying focused and doing um, work in 90 minute segments. So there's a lot of systems, things that you, you that make you better have, have this discipline that you don't really learn when you're coming out of a nine to five job because the discipline is instilled from, uh, into you because you have to show up at a designated time and then you have to do the work or not do the work and, and pretend that you're doing the work <laughs> depending <laughs> how lax your boss is. But what what's the most a uh, jarring thing I think for entrepreneurs who are coming out of that that disciplined nine to five is sort of being responsible for your own time and having the discipline to put some structure because I'll tell you in the beginning like when you have that freedom you know and you don't know what to do with it you'll be surprised you know how how quickly the day goes by or the week goes by and you're like well I don't, I'm not sure how much I really got done so that was a big part for me just learning the hard way sometimes like having the discipline. Um, taking control over my my day, and then, you know, being really adamant about how I let other things influence and, and take away from my time, you know, things like my inbox, I've heard people say your inbox is a collection of other people's agendas. <laughs> so just being these little things and these little tidbits that you just pick up over the years, but I think in aggregate, they've been very helpful for me to just 
get better and better about how I structure my time uh, and grow my business. Yeah, that, that the whole idea of incremental improvement, you know, 1% better every year and very soon or 2% better every year and you so quickly get better. It's pretty awesome. Can we talk a little bit about the specifics of the podcast world? Can you describe the business model? How do podcasters make money? Is there room for, I mean, there's thousands of podcasts. I, you know, I you know, log in, there's probably seven Mindful Money podcasts. There's a whole bunch of podcasts that have the same title. So is there room? How do you start? All those kinds of things. For folks that are looking to monetize a podcast, there's two models when it comes to sponsorship models. The first one most podcasters are familiar with is um, the CPM model, and it's, it's uh, the Roman numeral M, so it's meal, uh, so it's cost per thousand. And the way that model works is that for every thousand downloads your podcast gets, a sponsor will pay you. Uh, And the going rate right now is about $25. So we'll use that in this example. The challenge is you have to get into the tens of thousands, 50,000, 100,000 downloads per episode, which as I just mentioned early on is really difficult to get. Some of the best shows that you you see, the Joe Rogans, the Tim Ferriss, the Jordan Harbinger shows, you know, they get into the millions of downloads. And that's why that model works for them because they end up making tens of thousands of dollars, you know, if not more per episode, because they've gotten to that point. And you have to be, you know, like a top 20, top 50 podcast. So for most folks, that model is not going to really work that much unless you want to try to push yourself into that celebrity podcaster status. The The level you'd have to get to to perform, not only perform at that level, but, you know, succeed at that level is, is really challenging. So we work with uh, business owners who want to start a show And I have them thinking from day one, like, what are sponsorship opportunities for the show? So in 2020, I started a second show called the Vertical Farming Podcast. And specifically, my thought process around that was uh, initially to, to see if we could create our own client, our podcasting client. But I was really specific about this industry because I had read a book uh, that someone had gifted me called uh, Abundance by Peter Diamandis. And it was about all, talking about all these future technologies and, and vertical farming was one. So I did my research. Big industry, lots of VC dollars coming in. And um, I, I realized that this was an opportunity because VC dollars translates into marketing dollars. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try to get a sponsor for this podcast. I called it. I made it very simple. It's called the Vertical Farming Podcast. So thinking SEO, you know, don't don't make people work harder to find your content. You know, I could have called it the two guys on the farm, but like nobody's searching for that term. And so now if you Google vertical farming podcast, those three words, it's the very first thing that shows up in the Google search. And as a result, thankfully, I mean, for whatever the timing was, it just ended up being very, very prescient, I guess now in retrospect, but this is when the pandemic hit. I was speaking to these uh, companies. The, the podcast specifically focuses on conversations with CEOs and founders, so it gets a lot of visibility in the space. And long story short, I was able to secure a sponsor before I even launched the show. Because I realized, you know, they're spending $20,000 on a booth for conferences they can't go to anymore, so they need those marketing dollars to be spent somewhere. So all that to say, like, that was the thought process for me, and that's how we think about you know, when you create a show, like if, if you just, if you just want to do it for fun, that's not to say if like, if you want to have conversations with your friends about Dungeons and Dragons, by all means, you want to start a show, like do that and, and, and realize that it's something you're going to do 
for fun and just to you know get your feet wet to learn how to podcast to learn the ins and outs of microphones and hosting and everything you need to do and, and that could be your very first fun one and then later on you could figure out if you want to monetize it but if you're serious about a podcast for growing your existing business you know really put some thought into the content be the more niche the better i always tell people like if, if you've niched down how could you possibly niche down even one level more we're even thinking of launching a second niche show within vertical farming, specifically on shipping container farms. <laughs> and my goal is to just get a sponsor for that and just say, hey, we're going to build this. We're going to interview these 15 founders. Do you want to sponsor the show? And my goal is to not publish it until we get the sponsor first. So I'm already thinking ahead. What's been fascinating about that approach, Jonathan, is I've, I've had that show for two years. I'm now being like asked to consult on like, these indoor farming like projects because people see that I have visibility in a space. So it's amazing how much authority you can build in a niche space just by being curious about it and, and just being thoughtful about what you're building, who you want to speak to. And the beauty of podcasting, which is so wonderful and something you've probably come to experience, is you're creating a stage. You're creating a virtual stage where you're inviting who, whoever it is you, you want to talk to. And if you make it enticing enough, you know, we all know that when people say, hey, can I pick your brain or can we grab some coffee? Like that, that's code for can I get some free consulting? <laughs> but if you say, Jonathan, I've, I've, I have this podcast where I'm interviewing, you know, the world's best financial managers, just to, as, a, as an example, financial planners or rock star financial planners, like and I think like your story would be incredibly inspiring to my audience. You know, would you be interested in joining me for a conversation on my podcast? It's a completely different dynamic. And that's just why I'm so gung-ho about podcasting, about this ability to sort of create the conversations that you would like to have. And, you know, the people who you want to share a stage with. I, I, you know, it, it took me two years to sort of... to. I guess, peel the bandaid off. Like it was slow, slow going, lots of stuff happened. Right. Um, but I remember probably six times you'd email me, Hey, just checking in, you know, you have this great idea for this podcast, just checking in. How's it going? And I'd be like, you know what? Something happened. I got to put it off two more months. I got to put it off three more months. I got to put it off five more months. Call me back then. And every single time you'd be like, yeah, I'm calling you back, checking in. How's it going? Um, but you're right. After having some conversations with these people, and it was amazing to me, my first guest was somebody I had not stalked, but I'd paid it, you know, George Kinder is incredible. And I paid attention to everything he wrote for so long. Uh, and then I said, Hey, I'm, I'm having this podcast called my money. He's like, yeah, I'll be your anchor episode. Absolutely. And I was like, I've never spoken to the man before, but just yeah. having a podcast and doing some outreach, he was like, totally, man, that's great. Let's do this. And it was a lovely conversation. It was just fantastic. Um, and so the podcasting has become the fun, the monetization, whatever. I mean, someday that'll be cool, but just having the conversations and just having a platform and just talking to people, it's, it's been pretty great. But the point, the point of, that I'm trying to get across is how people can earn uh, from this. So can you, can you describe the business model? You know, were, you, were your podcasts the first one? Did you make money on that? Was that profitable or not? And did you become profitable through podcasting? Or was it when you started the agency that you started being profitable? Um, the short answer is when I started the agency is it started being profitable because essentially I took everything I had learned about podcasting and was able to package that IP into something that was desirable for people who wanted to shortcut where I had gotten to with my show. But the interesting thing 
about the first show podcast junkies is I'm closing in on episode 300. It's been eight plus years and I've honed the ability to have a long form conversation with people for an hour and it could be a topic I'm not even a subject matter expert in. So I was really growing skills that were going to be applicable for me. I've now since acquired a sponsor for Podcast Junkies as well. Shout out to Focusrite, which is um, one of the uh, sound card vendor. And what's interesting, in my first show, I had this mantra that says, treat your guests like gold. I always wanted to, the guests to have a fantastic experience. That's why we bend over backwards in terms of like what we send them, all the marketing materials. With Vertical Farming Podcast, my mantra has now been augmented to say, treat your sponsors like gold. And so you just heard me mention Focusrite. My current sponsor for the Vertical Farming Podcast is Cultivated, which is a, a farm broker. So I want, if this is something that's interesting for you and you want to follow this model, if you're going to make the effort to establish these relationships with sponsors, like do everything you can for them. So, you know, when I not only mention my sponsor on my show, I'm mentioning it on shows that are, have nothing to do with vertical farming like this one, because I'm like, you never know who could be listening. And I, we, we tag them on socials. We tag them in our newsletter. You know, we tag them. We make announcements when they renew for the sponsorships. So it's a that would be the model. Think about the end in mind when it comes to building a show. If you're just doing it for entertainment, that by all means, like talk about something you're really passionate about. And I think what, what's going to happen is the more passionate you are, you, there's a possibility that you could grow a following for the show. And you, you don't, may not need those tens of hundreds of thousands. You could go after individual sponsors if you're doing uh, Dungeons and Dragons is just top of mind for me. But if there was like manufacturers that made the pieces or, you know, the board games, if they saw that you literally have a couple of hundred folks that listen to the show, but they're diehard folks that really love it, then that could be something that really interesting for them. There's a, a podcast I, I can think, I think there's one in like the medical equipment supply business. It's specifically focused about that super niche. But if you think about the, the price point for some of that gear <laughs> in medical, you know, technology and tools, that those are pretty high price points. And I'm assuming if you were really laser focused on speaking to people in that industry, you could find sponsors who just, they have marketing dollars, you know, so you... In some ways, you have to sort of reverse engineer if your goal is to monetize it. But I would I would lead with your passion first. Lead with something that you're either very interested in, in like learning about, like I was with vertical farming, or something that you have a subject matter expertise in, and you just want to grow your relationships in that industry. I love it. What are some of the uh, big mistakes that people make, you know, when they're launching? I think they get too focused about trying to get that first episode to be perfect and nobody likes the sound of their voice like at, to a to a person all the major podcasters that you hear when you hear them speak at the conferences even pat flynn did this once he played like his cringeworthy first episode and i think he had like a heavy metal music for some reason as his backing track and he played it and he just sound so incredibly awkward that it was just funny to listen to but you know like i said you just have to put the reps in and you just have to get your feet wet and, you know, be comfortable. A lot of times you don't, you can record your first episode. You don't have to share with anyone. Mm. You don't even have to publish it anywhere. Just like literally the act of recording it or inviting a friend over and saying, let's, let's record something together. You don't have to overthink the gear. I mean, I'm, I'm using a, a fancier mic here, which is the Shure SM7B, but there's a little brother to this called the MV7, $250. And then the, the Samson makes a great mic called the Q2U, $70. Dynamic mic sounds perfect. 
pretty much that's all you need. The headphones that I'm using now are like $15. They're just Sony collapsible headphones. And don't let the gear get in the way. A lot of these uh, remote services you can get started with really early on. But I think the, the focus is just do a little bit each time to move yourself forward. Don't get overwhelmed with thinking about all the moving parts. As I mentioned, Captivate has a really fantastic course for people who want to learn how to do it yourself. So Captivate.fm to learn more about that. And, you know, just get started and, and just... There's people that have started podcasts and have done like 10 episodes and then decided they don't want to do it anymore. There's a, there's a term called pod fading. The number changes depending who you ask, but if you get past seven or 10 episodes and um, you haven't pod faded and it shows that you have like an interest in there. So just make a commitment to just get, you know, hit that 10 episode mark and, and then, you know, see if it's something that you like. It should be something that's fun for you. I know when I see interviews on my calendar, I get excited, like for Podcast Junkies, for Vertical Farming Podcast, being a guest on other shows. I just I just love the format, and it should be something that lights you up, and that's really how you know if like podcasting is going to be for you. Uh, you've worked with a lot of podcasters as they've launched. What, what are some of the biggest fears? I mean, obviously, you know, I'm going to sound like an idiot. That's probably one. But uh, what are some of the other biggest fears that people come up with uh, right out of the gate? I think... Um, they struggle, especially with an interview format, like they don't know what they're going to be talking about. I, w- I was the same way. When I got started, I had a list of like people that were semi, you know, podcast famous. And I was like, oh my God, I was like really nervous about talking to people. I think the very first person that I interviewed, Chase Reeves, I had my mic, I couldn't get it to work and I ended up just recording through earbuds. But I remember just like sweating because I was like, oh my God, like I'm so embarrassing. This person's like, you know, um, and a lot of times we've all been there. And so I'm, I'm gracious when I, I meet new podcasters to just relax, which is easier said than done. And you're going to have the questions, but you get better. If this is something that you want to improve in terms of your craft, like I remember, I remember flashbacks of, of my childhood my dad sitting us in front of the tv to watch 60 minutes or 2020 and i think in hindsight i have a respect for you know the art of interviewing it's something that's really fascinating for me as as i do more and more of it but you can have those questions in the beginning but re- just recognize that if they're, they're yes or no questions you'll have that guest who just answers them and and then 10 minutes in all your questions are answered and you don't have anything else to talk about <laughs> for the next you know 45 minutes so and that happened to me because I had uh, John Lee Dumas on, who's a famous podcaster on. He's famous for just giving you 30 minutes. Like, so I remember I just had, a, it was a midday interview. I mean, I, and I just realized, I was like, there's no way I'm going to get through these questions in any meaningful way. So I just tossed them. I'm like, oh, so what's going on? How you doing? And then we just had a really nice conversation. And I, that was the first moment when I realized, okay, okay, this is just a conversation. And I always tell people, if you go into a bar, there's 50 people in the bar, there's 50 stories there. But you have to be genuinely interested. Um, everybody's got a story to tell, and you just have to be curious. You just have to ask open-ended questions. You have to be a good listener. You have to be able to just pull threads away. And I, I tell people in a podcast conversation, there's three people, the host, the guest, and the listener. And so uh, these are just skills you learn over time as you're, when you're a podcast host. You realize right now it's just Jonathan and I speaking in this moment at the time of this recording. But you know we're also conscious that there's going to be a listener when this is published. And so, you know, it's just thinking about those things and, and it gives the listener a feeling like they just pulled up a bar stool and they're just watching two people have a conversation and they feel included, which I think is really important because we've all been at like a conference or a public event, two people are talking and we come over 
And we're like, is this, are they going to let me into the conversation or not? It's that awkward few seconds. And you're like, and when they're not, you just kind of like moonwalk your way out. You're like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to join your stupid conversation anyway. <laughs> so you don't want that to happen in a pod, in a podcast. It's interesting. What's been happening in the vertical farming space is I just went to two conferences this, this year in indoor farming. My tickets were paid for because I provided a platform for the conference on my podcast. I, so I would promote the podcast. The, that second ticket, Indoor Ag Tech NYC, that was an $1,100 ticket. <laughs> and they're like, just show up. You know, we just need you to read, you know, do an ad read in there. And so then I showed up there. I came home with 20 plus new interviews for the show. And even more interesting, I've had a, cu- a couple of the companies there, one company specifically, wants to work with me to do a new, a produce a new show um, and produce, you know, a, maybe something with video on site. And so opportunities are opening up for me in the space. I had someone reach out to me who's creating a mobile app to help people learn how to grow produce in their homes more effectively. It's in beta. He showed me the beta and he's like, if you're interested, I'd, I mean, I'd, I'd love your feedback and you can maybe be an advisor and I made it clear, I was like, the only engagements I'm working with right now for new companies are in an advisory role with equity. This is an opportunity that would not have happened had I not started the podcast. I did not know that these opportunities existed, Jonathan. I was just like open to this and open to learning about this. But because the show is produced professionally but and because it's got visibility and it's now the number one show in vertical farming because, you know, we're... We're creative about different categories and, you know, I could go geek out on, on, on how we did that. But it established me as much as that, I hate that phrase, thought leader, <laughs> but visibility in the space. So where people are now reaching out to me. So it's been really fascinating because that wasn't the intention. I was just looking to just, you know, generate revenue as, as from marketing dollars. But as my visibility in the space grows and I build these relationships strategically mind you because I, I made a point to make sure I speak to CEOs and founders so just think about those relationships that I'm building those connections I'm building I showed up at the conference and I was shaking hands and saying hey Harry that was great like really enjoyed our conversation just in much the same way that happened with podcast junkies so it's interesting how that's de- been beginning to develop and then in the podcasting space specifically I'm building a marketplace called the Podosphere. And it's just another function of me being observant. Um, There's a couple of companies in the podcasting space that I advise. And it's because I have visibility in the podcasting space. I helped, um, I'm an advisor of Squadcast, which is the tool that we're using now. And I met them at a podcasting conference in 2016. I started working with them for a year. But because I had the visibility in podcasting space, I started introducing them to people in the space. And, you know, and, and they valued the opinion. Now folks like Pat Flynn and Jordan Harbinger are actually advisors on the company as well. There's a, one of my good friends, Dave Jackson, who runs a school of podcasting, and he's what I call an OG podcaster. He, he loves telling these because of my podcast stories. And, and I think what you'll find if you, you know, step into this world and, and you're consistent with it, you probably may not be able to see right now the opportunities that can open up for you as a result of creating this platform. And you may just be pleasantly surprised at the connections you're making and the opportunities you're, you're building for yourself with a podcast. I think in my mind, it goes back to this two things you've been talking about. One is, you know, find the topic or the thing that you love that you can talk about for a year, two years and, and never exhaust that conversation. And then, you know, just engage the people. And if you just engage the people, stuff happens and you just have to be patient and keep going. And yes, you're going to sound stupid, but keep getting better and keep getting better and keep getting better. Uh, what'd you say? You said, uh, 
your 10th podcast is going to be better than your first and your 50th is going to be better than your 10th, right? It's just, you got to put in the reps. I'm, I'm on rep 18. We're getting close <laughs> to the end here. I, I appreciate your time. Yeah. Harry, what was the last thing you changed your mind about? Last thing. Oh, interestingly enough, my partner and I are pescatarians. Um, and it's more a function of just avoiding the whole factory farming system. But what we've recently started doing is um, in trying to uh, slowly incorporating venison. And the first time we did it was venison that her father had actually hunted because we were from Minneapolis and he grew up hunting. And it's interesting when you have a direct connection to like the food that you eat, like you, you honor and it's a sacredness to the understanding like that whole chain and is, is something that you have a direct connection to. Like we, we go to his house and he'll, he'll fish something out of a lake in their, their, their house up north and he'll bring it to the garage and he'll gut it and we're eating it within a couple of hours. So it's really interesting to have that direct connection. So we're experimenting more. There's a, also a vendor in, in Hawaii called Maui Venison. And short story there, there's a portion of the island that's overrun with deer. I think it's like 60,000 deer and they're trying to cull the population down to 15,000. So they literally are like very intentional about the experience. The deer lives its full life. They have like night vision goggles. So they'll like one kill. They prepare and dress it literally on site. And we just got our first shipment of that. And I'll tell you, it's been a while since I had meat and we just got had like these, uh, these medallions. And I was like, blown away you eat, literally eat it medium rare and which i normally wouldn't eat meat like that but there's it was interesting i was like i, I can't remember the last time i've had meat this good so long-winded <laughs> answer but just kind of opening my mind up to like you know being more intentional about you know not having hard and fast rules about what what you will and won't eat just based on what it is but just be more intentional about like where it's from and honoring the animals. So, well. so next season, when your father-in-law says, "Hey, Harry, you want to go hunting?" What do you think? It's one of those things that like I've never shot a gun, so I was like, maybe I should do that. Just to, I, I like doing things that put me out of my comfort zone, but just to experience it that first time, I definitely consider it. I don't know how far down the road I'd get in in terms of like actually dressing the animal, but there's something to be said for having that visceral close connection to the thing that you will eventually you know be eating and, and honoring it and respecting its life so i would definitely consider it if i'm asked i was uh 11 when my uncle said you want to go hunting and my cousin and i went hunting we got a deer dressed it on on the spot um you know did the whole you know the whole thing and i haven't done it since so you, you can do it once and not do it again um for sure <laughs> Is there anything that people don't know about you that you think it's really, that you really like them to know? One thing I would, that's been coming more awake for me is this uh, tapping more into my, my spirituality. And I've been on the journey probably since like late nineties when I was introduced to, to Buddhism and that sort of like opened door for me. And then the new age movement and uh, I know that the Buddhism is something that you can definitely relate to. And it just, you know, literally everything, crop circles, ancient civilizations, light workers, channeling, like I started just going down a complete rabbit hole. But it was always something that was like, I kept to myself. And, and now with Fullcast, my agency, you know, I tell people when, you know, when they ask me, like, what I do, I said, I'm, I'm the cosmic conduit for awakened souls ready to transmit their message to a global audience. 
And as you might imagine, that's either going to repel you or attract you <laughs> pretty quickly. But for me, it's like, I want, I want people, you know, like you who are not only just doing a podcast for just a sake of growing their business, but because you have uh, an intention behind what you want to do and you want, you want to make the world a better place. And, you know, as I get older, I just want to work with people that, that have that message, that have that voice inside them and, and, and need to get it out. And I want to help them with all the technical stuff and just let them focus on their genius, which is like having those conversations. And so just, just been wearing, you know, coming out of the spiritual closet, as I like to say, and it feels good because, you know, just I'll have people randomly DM me and be like, wow, I didn't know you were on this path. Let's, we should talk. And so it's, it's been really exciting. And it's something that I tell people all the time, like, you know, let be vocal about what it is you're passionate about, because that way you're going to start to attract the people that vibe with you sooner. I just love it. I just love everything about it. Um, so, so we can help more people uh, find you uh, who have that passion. I, I, I didn't memorize everything you said there, but that have a cosmic message they want to share to the share to everyone else. How do people find you? So if you want to learn more about the agency, it's fullcast.co. Uh, and then you could, I'm pretty active on, on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. Most recently, Twitter's Harry Duran FC. And then you can find me Harry Duran on, on LinkedIn. You'll see that messaging on LinkedIn as well, which is not something that you commonly see on LinkedIn, but I'm just like, yep, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> so, and it's interesting to see people who are typically, typically coming from business world, like realizing that that's part of their personality as well. So it's makes for an interesting mix of, of folks as well. And so it's so important to have, you know, both sides. So I, I appreciate it. I'm going to say thank you. And, um, I'll probably talk to you again in a week about something else on the podcast. So I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Sounds good. Yeah. And I appreciate the opportunity for letting me share your story. Uh, it's not often I get to, to go that far back to talk, talk about uh, everything that's inspired me so far. So I appreciate you and I hope this was valuable for your audience. Thanks for listening. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at mindful.money. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash mindful money. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. 